Second Kings. And chapter 3. Verse 1. Now Jehoram the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel in Samaria. The 18th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and reigned 12 years. Now Israel is the northern kingdom of Israel. And that's Jehoram is the king there. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom. So when you hear about Samaria, you're talking about the capital of the northern kingdom. And Judah is the capital of the southern kingdom. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. That is, Jehoram did. Uh, But not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. So he was a little bit better than his daddy, but not much. And Mesha, king of Moab. Now notice you got three kings here. You got the king of the northern kingdom, that's Jehoram. King of the southern kingdom, that's Jehoshaphat. Now you got the king of the Moabites, and that's Mesha. Uh, he was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. Now that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot in today's terms. I don't know how much money that would be, but it's a lot. And it came to pass when Ahab, that's the daddy of uh, Jehoram, When he died, when he was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So Ahab had the Moabites under control. And they were paying tribute, much tribute to him. But now when Ahab died, Mesha and the Moabites rebelled and stopped paying. All right, so verse 6, King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. That means he's out counting his troops. Getting ready for war. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, that is Jehoshaphat, I will go up, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom, which is down south and up. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Now there's three kings making an alliance. The king of the northern kingdom, the king of the southern kingdom, and the king of Edom. And they're going to go against Moab, the Moabites. Uh, And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host. That's all the troops. And for the cattle that followed them. They got no water. Dried up now. 
And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now think about that. Is that true? But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. That meant he assisted Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him, that is, with Elisha. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king, and the king of Edom, Edom went down to him. There's a little trifecta here. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. That's what I ask. Is that true? And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. Anybody ever heard of a minstrel? The old black-faced minstrels and all. Minstrel, well, they have music and all that. That's what he's talking about. A, a music, music band. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said this, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. That you may drink both you, ye and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing. In the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city. And shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water. And mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered. That behold there came water by the way of Edom. And the country was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain. And they have smitten one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. That means they've all killed each other. Now let's go get everything they got or they had. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. And they beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water 
and felled all the good trees. Only in Kirhatheseth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. Slingers. They got trucks coming around construction sites. Stone slingers. Have anybody seen them? Stone. Well, these are slingers. They weren't trucks. They were men that slung the stones. So slinging, slinging stones has been going on for a long time. <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, so, verse 21? 26. 26. I'm going to 26. It, it hurts to be blind, brother. I'll tell you. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore, that's severe, for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through, even unto the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall, and there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of Second Kings 3. Now before I get started into this, do you realize how old this account is? Elisha prophesied after Elijah. When we're in the lives of, of course, you know, Elijah didn't die. God took him. He translated him into heaven with the flaming chariot of flaming horses. Anyway, we're talking about the Ninth century BC. The ninth century would be from 800 to 900 BC, that whole century, that 100 years in that period of time. I'm not saying either one of them lasts 100 years, but during that period of time. So that's, that's where we are right here. Do we have a pretty clear account of what happened on this case? Okay. Oh, yeah. Brother Tim's in 2 Samuel, teaching 2 Samuel. Now, you're talking there, the life of David and Solomon. Now, you're into the 11th century B.C., that's even older than this. We're talking about 1,100 years before Christ or over 3,000 years ago. Now here's what I want to say to you. Nobody in the whole wide world in all of the writings of the ancient world has anything like this. No one does. I didn't bring it with me. I've got a, a little book. It's a paperback. Excellent little book on biblical chronology. Written by Philip Morrow, who was a lawyer, who was a believer, who was a very smart, well-studied man. And in his little book of chronology, he deals with this. 
that if you don't accept the historical account of the Old Testament, Andy Stanley notwithstanding, that heretic tells people to get away from the Old Testament. He is a major heretic, and it's even more coming out right now about him. And doggone of people not trying to defend him. They must be heretics themselves. Philip Morrow says, who is, who is a expert on the subject? If you don't accept the historical accounts from Genesis through the whole Bible, you don't have anything else to go by. You've got a few pieces of broken pottery written by some pagan priests, the, the so-called Egyptologist, Manetho. You might have heard that name again before with me, but not many people know the name. But he was a, an Egyptian in the 3rd century B.C., who guesstimated on a whole lot of the Egyptian pharaohs and got that wrong, who disagrees with all of them. But other than a few broken pieces of pottery, when you get back this far, you don't have any information. Now you've got uh, the Bill Nice that say, oh, this world is, what, 15 point billion point something billion years old who has not one iota of truth to stand on. They're all guessing with Lyell who back in the early 1700s he guessed because he hated the Bible at that time most everybody accepted the Bible's chronology. But him and ultimately Darwin and all of those guys, Smith, Lyell, Smith, Darwin, all of those guys, they hated the Bible, they hated God's word, and they were bound and determined they're going to get rid of it. So they, they imagined Billions of years. Well, they didn't get billions of years starting. They first got a few hundred thousand. But it's been it's been getting older by the day. This universe is getting older by the day. I mean, from just the, the last 50 years, it's gotten so old from uh, a few million years old to 15 and something billion years old. That's how much it has aged in the last 50 years. And when they run into a problem with their evolution, they just add on, tack on some more time because they say, even they say, well, we've we, we, we got to have a lot of time for this to take place. For a, for a monkey to become a man, you got to have a lot of time. And it has to be longer than anybody has ever lived and saw.
Nobody's ever seen any such thing. They say, well, what about the, the, the uh, fossil record? There are fossils, but there is no fossil record. When you see a fossil, you know one thing, and that's all. Whatever it was, died. You don't know when it died. You don't know how it died. And you don't know whether it had any children or not. There is no fossil record that shows a whale or a cow becoming a whale. That's what they say happened. A cow became a whale and a T-Rex became a chicken. I didn't make that up. That's what they... Did anybody see Jurassic Park or something? The original one, I, I, I saw bits and pieces of it. I know the last scene, I think because they showed some clips of it from the Creation Museum. But in the last scene, that guy that starred in it, him and that woman, they're leaving that island or wherever they were. They're in an airplane flying and they look out the window and there's ocean under there and there is a flock it looks like penguins or something flying underneath them. And what they're saying is, there are the dinosaurs. T-Rex became a bird. Now you've got to be especially wicked and or stupid to believe that a T-Rex or anything like that Devolved into a bird. You know why I think they picked they picked a chicken. Have you ever watched a chicken walk? And the T Rex walked that way because it didn't have front legs; it had little hanging paws, rather said, and big back legs. And that's what they say. What a wicked mind you have to have. Wicked and or stupid. Or maybe both of them. Anyhow. Verses 4 and 5 of our chapter. Mesha king of Moab was the sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel and a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. That's a lot of money. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel, he's not a good king. The king of uh, Judah is a pretty good king, but not too smart. Here's what I want to say about this first point. The enemy is always there. Now the king of Israel thought he had it all under control. Got these enemies under control, man. Got them paying big money to me. And got them under control. Then one thing happened. Ahab died. Now he doesn't have them under control. 
The enemy may go undercover for a while. Think about this. Now I thought, I'm going to tell you the truth. The guy in the White House, you know who he is. You know he falls up the stairs. and, Huh? Yeah. Uh, he's a liar. But he's not the biggest liar. I'll tell you who the biggest liar is. Is the father of the lies of the devil. There's the biggest liar. And if you want to believe him, he's got it out there. Always. The enemy exists. You read in the Old Testament. You read in the New Testament. The enemy is always on the job. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Here comes the enemy. Came in the person of a serpent. The enemy always exists. He may go undercover. And you may think things are all right for a while. And seemingly it was all right with Israel for a while. But he but the enemy didn't leave. The enemy is still there. And the right time he showed his head again. But it he was always there. So no truce can be made with the enemy. Isn't that a good point? We can't make a truce with him. They used to say no quarter given. You can't give anything to the enemy. We've got to be vigilant. The Bible says a pastor is to be vigilant. But you are to follow the pastor's example and be vigilant in your own life. Say, well, let's let this slide. No, you can't do that. You must be vigilant and not give quarter to the enemy. Look Matthew 13 real quick. Matthew 13, verse 24. <clears throat> Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, you know, you can't really tell the tares from the wheat. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Where'd they come from? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? An enemy hath done this. As sown tares among the wheat, we can never give quarter to the enemy. We've got to be on our guard. I'm talking about me as well as I'm talking about you. If you're going to have a life of service to the Lord, you must understand the enemy. I'm not paranoid. This is not a, this is not a psychotic problem, thinking they're all against us. This is an absolute reality Check that the enemy is always there. Where do you think the devil goes 
Where do you think he, when you go to sleep, do you think he goes to sleep? Where, where does he and all of his cohorts go? They're working around the clock. Where do you think all these so-called religious guys are? They come up with all these things from, uh, uh, I, saw, I saw a thing uh, John MacArthur had. They were doing a, a thing on uh, like a, our panel discussion on these modern, these modern uh, young people churches that are packing them in. They're, they're, they're absolutely, they're teaching all of our young people, teenagers and young people, teaching them rank heresy. The Bible hasn't changed. They got them on fire, fire, fire. Well, you know, they're calling down judgment. And people, oh, yeah, that is fire, fire, fire. The heresy that's out there. And then you've got preachers say, oh, well, y'all make too much over all this detail stuff. We need to let some of this stuff go. The enemy's always there. And where do you think he gets to it from? From the little details. He comes in and makes big details. Back in our text, verse 6. King Jehoram went out of Samaria. That's the northern kingdom. The same time and numbered all Israel. I guess he looked at his own troops and figured, I can't do it. It could be like us. Get these uh, spy balloons that our illustrious president is letting these spy balloons price over the whole country and letting them get all of what they want together and then when they get off the east coast, then shoot them down. That's what we've done. And, and I know they've got electronic stuff up there. They done got everything out of that balloon they wanted. And no telling, no telling what deal was made in the White House. Did he get a lot of money or did they just threaten him with blackmail? They're going to reveal something on him because they got loads on him. Anyway, well, let's get, somebody said, well, we're getting ready to go to war. I've heard military men say we're getting ready to go to war with China. I hope not. But it looks, I mean, can you imagine, even though he was a Democrat, Franklin Roosevelt, letting the Japanese fly a balloon over, over our, they had balloons in those days. They had blimps and dirigibles. They had balloons. You, can you imagine if a Japanese in 1941, even before Pearl Harbor Day, do you think if the Japanese sent a balloon over Alaska or California, do you think that it would have gotten any further than the, than the first sighting? But our illustrious whatever up there let it go all the way, Alaska, all the way down to South Carolina, and then just off the coast. All we're worried about people. They ain't worried about people at all. Not at all. He's paying off his debt. That's what. But with everything that's been going on, you see Donald Trump was boosting our military. But ever since then, they've been taking it down. Now our military is there so we can get transgenders in there. So we can get all the homosexuals in there. 
and get everything in there but people that are qualified. And even with this, with this uh, uh, Fauci flu thing, how many did they kick out? Good military men, women. How many did they kick out? Thousands over this Fauci flu vaccination. And they're not going to let them back in there. That Pentagon, at who's underneath the thumb of Biden. Look at our military now. They're probably in as bad a shape as they were under, under Carter and Obama. And that's what this old boy has found out. Jehoram. He numbered all Israel. And he went and said to Jehoshaphat, I haven't got enough to, to fend off an attack or to, to make an attack. I better make me some alliances. So he goes to Jehoram, or to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And Jehoshaphat says, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. Now the truth of the matter is, if Jehoshaphat's doing what he ought to be doing, he's not going to be lined up making a pact with a backslidden, disobedient king. But he makes, he makes an alliance. Well, he said, which way should we go? Verse 8. He answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. Now, you know, the Lord doesn't have much to say good about Edom. Matter of fact, some of the, uh, the major or minor prophets absolutely are, speak against Obadiah, speak against Edom. But the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they fetched a compass of seven days. They made a pact. They made, made an alliance. And as soon as they do, there was no water for the host or for the cattle that followed them. Unholy alliances are no answer. Judah, backsliders, Israel, apostates, Edom, heathen. That equals no water, no fruit, and defeat. What we need to do is take God's side on everything. In our personal lives, on our, in our homes, in our churches. We need to take God's side on everything. God's word does not change. Amen. God, our lesson, if you love me, keep my commandments. And they don't change. And my commandments are not grievous. Now, verse 10. The king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now I ask you, is that true? That's what 
Jehoram says, Alas, the Lord has put us three kings together to defeat us. No truth to that at all. But let me make this point. We are always responsible in our lives. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. You see it first in the Garden of Eden. When the Lord called Adam and Eve to task. Adam, he says, that woman thou gavest me. <laughs> She's at fault. Eve, you see there was a serpent. Huh? Passing the buck. What do you think Jehoram is doing? Passing the buck. This all, this is the Lord's fault. No, the Lord didn't get you all together. You got you all together in an unholy alliance. But now look at uh, verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now he is the only one that brings up anything spiritual. All Jehoram, the northern king, kingdom king, all he says is the Lord's fault. Now Jehoshaphat, he says, now wait a minute. Isn't there a, a, a holy prophet of the Lord that we can find out from him what's going on? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Well, here's guy, Elisha, and he was a, an aide, a helper to Elijah. And we all know about Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. See, he's the one that has this information. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him, and Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? <laughs> There's Elisha, God's man. You wasn't going to slip up on his blind side. The king of Israel, he's no servant of God. And Elisha says, What have I got to do with you? What have you got to do with me? What are you doing here? Oh, well, he wasn't a very nice man. <laughs> now he was on God's side, that's what. He was being vigilant. He was understanding that the enemy's always out there, and here he's trying to do something. He says, get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. That's Ahab and Jezebel. Go on, get back at those people. See what they can do. And the king of Israel said to him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together. There he goes again, blaming the Lord to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, 
before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Now whatever the Lord does here, he's not doing it for the king of Israel or Israel. He's not doing it for the king of Edom. He's doing it for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. I might gather from this, non-believers owe much to true believers. If the Lord's holding back his wrath against this country, it's for one reason. It's for the handful of sound churches that are in this country doing sound mission work and worshiping the Lord in the spirit and in the truth. The Lord is not holding back his wrath because all of them joined hands across the country. Or all of them had a national day of prayer. That hasn't turned anything. If the Lord's holding back, it's because of his uswards. Verse 14. I already read that. Look at Genesis 18 real quick. Along this line. Verse 23. Now we go back to past 2000 B.C. To Abraham's time. Nobody has this kind of history, folks. And this history is reliable. These genealogies are reliable. They'll stand up in a court of law. And Abraham drew near and said, To God wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked. Talking about going Sodom and Gomorrah. Peradventure, perhaps, there be 50 righteous within the city. 50 people out of a big city. Now he always... Jesus said, many called and few chosen. Now I want everybody to understand that that verse has been true every single day since then. There's never been a day when many called and many chosen. It's always been. Many called and few chosen. We can go back to the flood. Noah's day. Noah and seven other people. The three sons and the four wives. Eight people found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's your few. And the many were outside the ark. This has always been true. So oh, what about the glory days when people were just coming. Just, they're just coming in droves to the Lord. That's always been true, many called and few chosen. 
When you see those droves coming, it's because somebody's preached heresy to them. Somebody's convinced them of something that ain't true. He says, verse 25, That be far from thee to do after this matter to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, and absolutely he does. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous, I'm going to, for time's sake, move but a little bit. Look at verse 28. Abraham says, perhaps there shall like five of the 50 rights. Well, Lord, Ben, as we're going to look for 50, uh, what if we, we can find them all but five? We can just find 45. Uh, wilt thou destroy the city for lack of five? Are you going to do this for just because we couldn't find five more? And he said, if I find there 40 and 5, I will not destroy it. Well, he spake unto him and said, perhaps there shall be 40 found. <laughs> oh, Abraham got probably, he's thinking, man, I don't know. I may have put my foot in my mouth here. I'm not sure we're going to find 45. I knew we couldn't find 50. Now, I'm not sure we could find 45. Maybe we could just find 40. And he said, I will not do it for 40's sake. Okay. And he said, oh, Lord, let, the Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be 30 found. <laughs> well, Biz, I'm not sure we can find 40. But 30, that'll do, won't it? And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. That's Abraham. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. Now we done got down to 20. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet. But this once, I'm going to say one more word, Lord, if you'll let me. Perhaps... Ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. We've come from fifty to ten. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communion with Abraham. Abraham returned to, the, to his place. And you know what happened? That next chapter we find fire and brimstone fell from heaven. Hey, you modern evangelist you want fire Solomon Gomorrah got fire mixed with brimstone trying to teach these kids to call for fire fire is the judgment of God Amen. and fire and brimstone came down on Sodom and Gomorrah those cities of the plain Zor. Now I know that this is hate speech. But you know what the one act was that brought God's judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah? It was home, homosexuality. Amen. It was LGBT stuff. Now I know we ain't supposed to talk that. But you're not going to shut me up. You're not going to shut the word of God up. 
That's what it's all about. But there was a child of God interceding for those wicked cities. And God said if he could just find ten righteous that he would hold back his wrath. Proving my point that God's not holding back his wrath because this bunch of people have had a national day of prayer or they've all held hands. God's holding back his wrath because of his us words. For he's not willing that any of the us words shall perish. If God wasn't willing for nobody to perish, he could turn hell off. Empty it out. He's not willing for his elect, his people to perish. Look at verse 15 now. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. It's an unusual request. These are desperate circumstances. A minstrel was symbolizing harmony with God. Now I do believe that God's people need to be in harmony with God. But we're not going to get in harmony with God by forming alliances with the enemy. I'm talking about interdenominationalism. I'm talking about giving up the doctrines and joining all of them. And that's what most of the Baptist churches have done. That's why they've got universal invisible church written into their doctrinal statement. When they'll let you read the doctrinal statement, they're, they're wily enough, diabolical enough that they'll hide it from you. And every one of them do it. Almost every one of them do it. Check them out on, on the, the email and all that stuff. Anyway, these people were out of harmony with God. That's why they were dried out. You ever get dried out? You ever get dried out with the Lord? Well, it's just not like it used to be. Don't blame the Lord. Ah. Uh, Somebody moved. And who moved? If you're out of harmony with the Lord, somebody moved. I know who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know know who with there's not even a shadow of turning with him. If you're out of harmony with the Lord, you moved. Not him. And that's what these people need to see. Anyway. Verse 16. And he said. Thus saith the Lord. Make this valley. Full of ditches. Now boy that seems to be. Man. Why are we going to dig ditches? We're not going to go down. Far enough to make wells. To strike water. Here we are. Thirsty. Our our herds are thirsty. Our troops are thirsty. And we got to go dig ditches. 
You know, that kind of thing is done all through you. Do you remember what, right, Elisha's day, what he told Naaman? When he had leprosy? He sent the word back to Naaman, that little maid, little woman sent to Nathan, sent to, to Elisha. And he told old Naaman, that Syrian captain, big man, a lot of authority. Well, what you've got to do, old boy, you got to go to the Jordan River. And you got to dip yourself seven times in that muddy Jordan. That's why the old boy preached a message one time. Seven ducks in muddy water. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? To tell me I've got to go jump in the, the, the Jordan, muddy Jordan River seven times. Don't I have plenty of good rivers here where I am in Syria? Arbana and all that pot of whatever they are. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? But he finally did what the Lord told him to do. And when he came up that seventh time, his skin was just as pure as when he was born. Here we got, we're facing possible war with China. Ain't nobody talking about Russia lately. Or Korea. Or any of the rest of them. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about uh, they're going to take, uh, take all of our cash money. They're going to do this and run us out of. You know why all the hens are quit laying, don't you? Because they're all identifying as roosters. <laughs> We've run out of eggs. Running out of meat. Running out of everything. We're in desperate circumstances. Talking about the layoffs are coming and inflation going up. You got one flu after another one. The Fauci flu and all of its attendants keep coming back. We got problems. So what are we doing here Singing the songs of Zion. Praying to the three times holy God. In the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just preaching the word of God and preaching the simple. Teaching the simple doctrines of the word of God. And telling people they need to repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How ridiculous is that? And look we got real problems. You get my point? I ain't got time to listen to you stuff. Listen to that old stuff. I got serious things to do. Yeah. Well, the things we're talking about are not only serious now, they're serious eternally. So he says, Make this valley full of ditches. Sacrifice as usual. Look at verse 20. It came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, 
There came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Sacrifice as usual. When they came to Daniel, it said they passed a law that if you that if you pray uh, to anything but the image of Nebuchadnezzar, that you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel didn't even close his windows. He bowed and prayed toward Jerusalem just as he always did. He didn't change a thing. Did they get him in the lion's den? Yeah. They came and got him. Well, you get in trouble preaching all that. Yeah, you get in trouble. Daniel got in trouble, didn't he? They came and got him. Ooh. They took him to the lion's den. And them old cats is hungry. And they wasn't worried about who it was until they saw him. There Daniel stands in that lion's den. And one lion looked at the rest of them. So there ain't no sense chomping down on him. He ain't nothing but backbone. <laughs> you ain't going to get no meat there. Well, and the Lord shut their mouths and didn't touch them. Just like the three Hebrew children. When they came out of that fiery furnace, they didn't even have the sm smell of smoke on them. David, can you go in a fire and not have the, the smell of smoke on you? He was... For 25 years or something. No way in the world. You can't ever get rid of that smell. When you, where you hang your clothes at home, did you ever get rid of that smell? It stays there. The smell of a fire. It's always on. When you go around a bonfire, you've got it on you. You can't deny that you've been around one. People can smell you. But the three Hebrew children, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. So, now they, they dig these ditches. They turn their swords into plowshares. <laughs> now God says, no wind, no rain. In verse uh, and I missed my verse now, no wind, no rain. Here, verse 17. You shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. Now, what about this? All laws of nature. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who made laws of nature? God did. You tell me he can't go against his own laws? And he certainly does. So, we'll get victory God's way. Look at our brethren in the past. They've never run the big way. They've never had the big stuff. They've never had the, the clout and the money. But we're still here. God's word is still abundantly here. More now than ever before. Against nature. Without human devices. They dug. But God filled. <laughs> oh. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 real quick. You know it.
Verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal, that is fleshly? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that, that's us folks, us serving the Lord, neither he that planteth nor he that watereth is anything, but it is God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, we're laborers together. But my point is this, they labored, they dug, but God filled the ditches. Now, go back to our text. Verse 22, well, verse 21. When all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood, and they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain, and they have smitten one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. Well, you got the king of the northern kingdom and the king of the southern kingdom, and they ain't buddies. And they both got the king of Edom, and they're not buddies. I reckon through the night they just got got to fighting and they've done done all of our work for us and look at all that blood and there couldn't be any of them alive to the spoils to the spoils well and then when they get there they find something different now we got victory God's way and I'll read verse 27 in a minute down there and God's victory is complete But now the same thing that spoke peace and prosperity to Jehoshaphat and the troops, which is water in those ditches. Now we ain't thirst no more. Look at all of our livestock down there getting their fill of water. They ain't had that in a long time. We're all happy, and we've got plenty. The Lord has delivered, but at the same time, hmm, my goodness, what did the Moabites see? Look at First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. Chapter 2, verse 14. 
<clears throat> now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge. That's not savior, that's savor. Of his knowledge uh, by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor unto, of Christ. In them that are saved and in them that perish, to the one we are the savor of death. And to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Folks, when the gospel is preached, to those that are drawn back by the power of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful words of life, but to those who reject it, they are the words of death. That's why you find a mixture out there. And you talk to people about the Lord, about the gospel. Some of them love it. Others hate it because of what it means to them. I don't want to hear that old stuff. Well, okay, you may not want to. But sooner or later, you're going to breathe your last. Whether, whether Biden comes or China comes or whoever, sooner or later, you're going to breathe your last. They just, they just kill you one time. Then after this, it's the judgment. And you're going to hear what I've just told you. Only you're going to hear it as death and to the second death. So verse 26 and 27, I'll quit. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too much for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords. They all didn't get killed right then. To break through even unto the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, that he should have reigned in his stead, and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. <laughs> that looks like complete victory to me. Doesn't look like they went away with any troops. Didn't go away with the king to replace the old one. Victory is complete in the Lord. God help us. Let's get into that minister, that minstrel, and get in harmony with the Lord and begin to rejoice in the Lord. They that do know their God, they shall do exploits. Do be strong and do exploits. They that know the joyful sound, get in harmony with God, in unity with God. And obey him, and we'll see some victory. We're seeing victory. Let's all stand.